My family has been transformed, like our extended families on both sides, friends, like when you get the opportunity and the chance to love into someone that you need a sacrifice for and you really, that really needs you, it changes you, right? So like this changed me. I am changed because of this journey, praise God. Can we discover our true vocation through the exploration of the world we live in? Are we open to having a true encounter with God and with ourselves in the small moments and unexpected places of our lives? In today's episode, Apostolate founder and host of Mamas and Spirit podcast, Lendi Wen, shares how God's true love was revealed to her through the willing acceptance of both happy moments and unforeseen sacrifices. In 1 John, I think it says, God is love. I would never know God's love like I know God's love without adopting my precious children, who are really God's precious children. When we embrace the mission God has laid in our hands, especially when it comes through the mystery of difficult things, we're able to overcome the challenges of life and help write God's story in the world. This is Living the Call. Lindy Wynn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Deacon Charlie. It is a delight and an honor to be with you. I love the fact that we got a chance to finally do this. Um, I was thinking about uh, how we met. Uh, I think we actually met on doing some sidewalk, uh, some sidewalk ministry, didn't we, at uh, in a pro-life a rally at some point. This was probably a couple of years ago that my wife introduced us. Yes, I've had the great blessing of coming to know your beautiful wife, Jess, and to witness her at work in the world, doing God's glorious work and sharing God's word. Amen. So I, there's going to be no complaints from me on that score, Lindy, you will find. By the way, I almost called you Wendy Lynn on the opening instead of Lindy Wendy. Has that ever happened before? Does somebody do those like malapropisms where they switch the word out? It is hilarious that you say that because right after getting married, I was working at a Catholic school in campus ministry and people said it so many times that on the agenda, they started putting all their names, then Wendy Lynn and Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that the, there's actually a name for that. It's called a spoonerism. You probably have heard that. It's a, a spoonerism is where like somebody will say the sink is shipping instead of the ship is sinking. And it's like an inversion. But I'm glad I didn't do that as the opening of the show. I know I'm going to learn so many things from you today, Deacon Charlie, including spoonerism. <laughs> there you go. Put that one down. I guess apparently it was named for the guy who came up with the term. So Lindy, you're one of, I mean, I don't actually, let me start with that question. Do you consider yourself now that you've moved um, out to the great state of Tennessee and you're in Nashville, which by the way, I love, I want to hear all about Nashville, but are would, would you consider yourself kind of part of some of this urban exodus that's happened over the course of COVID? Or is it just happenstance that you left? Because I mean, we met in Southern California. Yes, we did meet in Southern California. And this is so much about living the call, actually, because my husband and I, during the pandemic, took an RV trip for a month with our youngest child, our six-year-old, and had already begun discernment and prayer and seeking wise counsel and landed in Alabama at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament at the foot of the Statue of Mary. And there I prayed to the Lord, Lord, whatever your will is, I will follow. And all I asked for was a sign. Mm. And we drove into Tennessee that very day. And I was not expecting to be at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament. That was definitely God's providence. And I landed in a store in downtown Franklin, maybe some of your listeners listeners have been there before, that has a prayer chapel in the middle of the store. And I just knew mm. in that moment that God was calling us to not uproot our lives in Him, but more deeply root our lives in Him and root our family life in Franklin, Tennessee. And that is how we came here. So there was no other point of connection prior to that that would say, hey, let's go to Tennessee? There is so much. It was definitely the call of the Lord. And you know how Deacon Charlie seeds are planted many, many years before something ever happens? Sure. Really, my husband, my beloved husband, my own Joseph, Brian, and I we had been talking about for years with our older children, because for those of you who don't know, we have a 22-year-old son, a 19-year-old daughter, and a six-year-old da daughter, all whom are adopted. 
and the oldest two children, we really wanted to give them the experience of staying on our block. It was named Green Meadows, and it was a group. It was not literally a green meadow, but figuratively, beautiful people on that block, mm-hmm. just a wonderful community. And our children walked to school all through junior high and high school. So we always said that we wanted to give them that foundation and that stability of being raised predominantly in one home. We adopted them at three and six, so they were in many homes before that. However, to be in that one home, but that really we felt our hearts being pulled into other places, both not only because of my husband's job and having a less stressful reality in regards to his job, but just really for the soul of our family to be somewhere that has a slower pace to life, that's very family focused and family oriented, that um, there's just a beauty and a purity. Our littlest is very much a nature girl. And now we moved from literally like homes that are just right next door to each other to six and a half acres almost in Franklin, Tennessee, a very different and very beautiful life, just in a different way. But I have to say, I love so many people in California and there are many, many things that I love about California. And on that prayer chapel wall, I hung a prayer. My second prayer I hung up there after the first one, which was, God, wherever you lead us, we will follow you. The second one was a prayer for all Mm. those whom I have loved in California and all those whom I will love in Tennessee. Well, I think that's, um, I can definitely see the allure. I've seen some of the pictures uh, of of your new home and especially for somebody younger, the idea of exploration and checking out new things. In fact, and I didn't know you did an RV trip that kind of kicked this whole thing off. you're about, you know, 40 years younger than the average demographic for the RV trip, as I'm sure people have told you. But nevertheless, I'm a big fan of RVs as well. And the principle that's interesting, and I wonder if you could comment on it, is that a lot of the development and transformation that happens in our lives is often by, and there's a, a lot of the ways that, that the Lord leads us to change and transform and grow, but some avenues that are often traveled by people when they change and grow and evolve is the idea of um, exploration, right? Another big area or, uh, you know, area of development around transformation is conversation, right? Coming into contact with ideas and thoughts and propositions that we didn't have before. And, and I know you have some of that as well as a convert, which we'll talk about. But the other one is exploration, right? This idea of physically being transported somewhere else. And by virtue of that, having a chance to interact with that shrine you didn't expect to be in front of and have that moment of prayerful discernment and then see that answered by God later. So that idea of exploration is actually super key. I I don't know how much of it we do anymore because we have the benefit of digitally transporting ourselves wherever we want to go. But I think it's really um, a principal part of the spiritual journey to find ourselves you know, exploring to the degree that we can and to the degree that's appropriate to our way of life, but just how critical a part of it it is to our spiritual journey. Yes, I would say two things about that. The first is, is as you know, Deacon Charlie, and I'm not sure if your listeners know, I have a podcast, Mamas in Spirit, and it's all about the exploration of each human soul and each person's story. And I am blessed abundantly by listening and by being hopefully present to each guest so that I can grow and I can learn and that I can hopefully become closer to Christ, closer to God on this pilgrimage that we call life. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is I remember many years ago, I sat with a priest who's very much a dear friend and he encouraged me to not be impulsive in my discernment and decision-making in life, or maybe not so much impulsive as trying to make things happen, but to really allow my discernment process to be to come from a place of invitation by God. And I think that exploration and presence and finding God in all things and looking for God in all things is very much a part of that. And that's what I mean when I share this little story. So in the beginning of the pandemic, Mm. my husband, Brian, and I, we quarantined per the recommendation of his doctor about probably up to a week before 
America was really even talking first about quarantining because he has a rare vasculitis disease and is immunocompromised. And oh, wow. I think her husband works in the field that very much focuses on the pandemic. And she's like, we're so many days behind Italy. I recommend that you go home and you quarantine. So we pulled our girls out of school and we quarantined the four of us. Our mm. oldest has already moved out. During that time, I just remember it being on my heart because it was the four of us and our little house in Torrance, California, and just God really placed it on my heart to change scenery at some point during this pandemic. So I said to Brian, mm. because I was really trying to just sit in the joy of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord, sit in scripture every day, go running and be fed and nourished by God every day. And I said to Brian, I said, I think that at some point, I really need something to look forward to. Because as everyone could imagine and can imagine, it wasn't Groundhog's Day by any means, not at all. Like God is good and God is generous and God is glorious. But at the same time, I know my own vulnerabilities as a human being. And I know that as a mother, my mental health, my well-being, my centeredness, it hopefully needs to be very strong in the Lord in order to pour out on my family, especially in circumstances like that with my children at home all the time with us. So we were so blessed because everybody can do what they're doing remote that we went and spent a month. We rented a cabin and we spent a month in Lake Arrowhead, California. I had no idea that would be the start of our discernment because mm. we spent a month in Lake Arrowhead, California, which is in the San Bernardino Mountains, for those of you who don't know, amidst the trees and the greenery and sitting on the deck and really just being focused on God and our little family, still doing mamas and spirit, still doing school, still doing work, but really it was a simpler time. And that began, that was an exploration to just go up there and spend that time up there like we never had before. But it also started the exploration that we did not expect that was very much a surprise and an invitation by God to discern where we were called to be moving forward in our family. Was that part of a broader um, petition or prayer to God about sort of the next phase or part, you know, the next moment in your kind of married and ministerial and family lives? Like, had this been part of a broader process as you're thinking about this? Or it's just, you, you, you kind of get out and then you have this impulse to think, oh, I'm yes. maybe being called to a next step. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, was it already in your mind's eye that you had to move, that you had to look for something, a, a new moment? No. And actually, like another experience in my life, I would say that I would have thought it was impossible. Impossible. But yet, with God, all things are possible. Absolutely. So even though I think that for Brian and myself, even though, God bless him, he's not speaking in this podcast, but I definitely think this would resonate with him. I think we both longed to make that move and to make that change. But I think based on just human circumstances and the way our minds work and God is limitless, but we are limiting. And sometimes I think that we can think that beyond the sky is not the limit. And so I think we thought we were kind of Mm. Not stuck because life was very good, but kind of, if that makes sense. Oh, it totally makes sense. Yes. I'm sure that you and Jess dream about things. And I, we definitely talked about it over the years and said, oh, we're always going to stay here. But I think by the time we got there, I think we thought this is where we're staying. I think I, I, think I really thought we could live and essentially die in that home that we had at that time, which was very good. But... That moment, God is a God of surprises. I mean, no one could have expected what happened over the last year and a half in our world. Like God is a God of surprises. And Jeremiah 29, 11 says that God has a hope-filled future for us and that God has plans for us. But really, really, Deacon Charlie, I don't I don't make too many plans for myself. Like, hey, I might make plans to meet with some people from my motherhood ministry on Wednesday night, but I can't quite tell you what I'm gonna be doing next year. Like I really I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Well, I mean, I find myself in the same boat. Um, right now I'm doing, as I think you may know, Lindy, I'm doing a bit of daddy daycare because Jess is in Ohio taking care of, her, taking care of, a, of a family member. And so um, I've gotten over the course of the last several weeks much better at planning to the degree that I know how to plan. But generally speaking, some things I think long term, other things I've, I've got no idea and I'm happy to just get one foot in front of the other. 
I think the thing that you mentioned, though, is interesting because this idea of, um, you know, kind of being out there, you were among the trees, right? Uh, out there in nature, this kind of unexpected moment, there is physically, like the physiology of people is such that when we go for a walk, you know, people will get into an argument or they get upset about something, said, I got to get some fresh air and go for a walk. That's an expression in our culture. But I, I read an article or saw a video, and I don't remember which, which, which is which, but that talked about the fact that of what happens at a physiological level when we literally get up from our chair, go outside, breathe in fresh air, and see other, other scenery. There is something biological, physiological, that changes as a result of doing that. Neurotransmitters and you know, the chemical receptors in our brain, all these different things. For you and I and others, as Christians, we know that all of that was built by a creator, right? So the idea that, yes, not only is, you know, is this world and creation big and there's lots to see and beautiful things, but something physically happens. And in many cases, you begin that physical transformation by virtue of literally going to different, different places. And I think that that's reflected in in our in our beautiful faith tradition, you know, you've got like a lot of the religious orders who are very good about being mendicants and out in the world and just constantly moving. But then at the same time, there's a place for stability as well, right? To be rooted and to have home and to have a foundation. But I feel that now coming out of COVID, I, what I take from your um, from what you just shared is the importance of that change of scenery, that change of place, so that we can better discern God and maybe get a little unstuck, because that does happen. And it has happened for a lot of us over the course of the last two years. Yes. Deacon Charlie, my husband and daughters and myself spent probably about 10 months at home and in nature during the first 10 months of the pandemic. And my soul was filled almost every single morning by going walking and running in nature. And when I say that, I would go sometimes for an hour. I would go for two hours. I would go for two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. I would leave before the children got up. But since my husband was there, there wasn't some flat time that I had to be back. And God just fed into my soul. And I think that that is just a critical message for my heart, for your heart, for all of our hearts, is that in every circumstance, in every condition, God gives us exactly what we need, exactly what we need. Mm -hmm. And that is what I needed during that time. And God sustained me and that was not the hardest time in my life by any means, mind you, like not at all. But I really learned that, and God had sharpened me through other experiences to know that. Sure. Lindy, is this idea of exploration relate in any way to your conversion story? I know that uh, the, what, I, what I know about your story is that, you know, you, you, in your college years, and you met your husband in your college years, but that that wasn't necessarily the point of, of conversion or, or, or related to that. But how could this idea of exploration relate to your to your conversion story? I love that question. I really love that question. And I love the fact that you already know that I did not convert to Catholicism because my husband was Catholic. So essentially, when I was a small child, when I was nine, my grandfather passed away and we were blessed to live on a levee 10 doors down from my grandparents. And Basically, my brothers and I, we could run out the back gate of our home and run 10 doors down and go in the back door of my grandparents' house. That's how close we were to them. And my grandfather was a funny, joyful, humorous, loving man. I have a picture of me sitting on his lap as a little girl, and it's beautiful to look at because there was also a lot of brokenness in my childhood too. But I see the delight in my grandfather being with his granddaughter, and that's me. And that has been one of the greatest ways I came to know really God's love without being able to name that as a child. So after he died, that was a great loss, not only for me, but for my family. In many ways, he was the patriarch and he was the glue that held our family together. And there was a lot more chaos after he passed away. Mm -hmm. And so I would, as a child, go sit out on the rocks by the levee. And I would talk to my grandfather and eventually that turned to talking to God. That was the start hmm. and very pure. The Bible calls us to be childlike. As children, we're often 
so open and so pure in ways that we almost can't even fathom as adults anymore. But that's the hope to get back like an immaculate heart of Mary, the immaculate heart of Mary. And so that's my purest experience of God that I try to always in a sense return to. But that definitely started my exploration. That's actually very intuitive of you. And I've never thought of it this way exactly. But that started a journey of exploration where when I was in middle school, I asked to go with friends to the Lutheran church and the youth group with my friends, Lutheran church. And then when I got into high school, and I've shared this story before, when I got my driver's license, I started going to different churches and different Catholic churches to just seek, to to look. And was there was there a driver, Lindy, for you? Some something that was the that you can recall that was the inspiration for that for that desire to go to different faith expressions? Yes, me as a nine year old, it was like that deep intrinsic sense that God is the cornerstone. God is peace. Wow. God is love. I I wouldn't have said that, but for any of us who have been able to just bask in God's love, just sit there and know that we're loved. And I want everyone listening to know, like, I didn't always feel that way. Like I said, there's a lot of brokenness in my childhood. I was a, a very insecure, late middle school, middle schooler, really sad, Charlie. I remember in my eighth grade yearbook, it's kind of like so sad and like a little bit embarrassing to share. They asked us all, what do you want to be when you grow up for the yearbook? So this is in writing somewhere in my eighth grade yearbook. And I put that I wanted to be part three or four of the other girls in my class. They were like the popular girls. Wow. So to think that, yeah. you know, God has so redeemed that, but it's also like in scripture how it says like, seek and you shall find, like to love God with all your hearts and seek God with all of our hearts and then we will find God. That is what I sought, but yet there were many, many bumps and trials along the way and many falls and many failures and failings of my own. But my life essentially has been and continues to be an exploration where I hope to land, I mean, like you and probably like all of us in the sacred heart of Christ. I mean, at the end of this pilgrimage, I hope to be so fully sharpened that I just pray and hope to be with Christ forever. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love how God, you know, uses our, our, well, everything, right? I mean, he's super frugal. He doesn't waste a moment or an opportunity at all. But this idea of fatherhood, paternity, right, you saw reflected in your grandfather specifically, um, and and how that, in a way that maybe you as a child did not understand— identified you as a child, right? As a child of someone. And of course we are, we are children, right? Um, I, I love that. And how then over the course of time, you can build on that, right? God uses all these different experiences to build on and lead you ultimately where, where he longs for us to go. So starting from that baseline, exploration, Lutheran, you're doing all these different things. You get to college and you're still not a Catholic at that point, or are you? No. I was not. Okay. So what, when was the first time that you, were, that you seriously considered uh, becoming a Catholic? Well, I have a specific memory. There was one night my freshman year, and I had just a beloved roommate, Jenny, and I was really heartbroken this one night, and it probably had to do with my parents were in the middle of a divorce. So they separated right before I went to college. And so during my freshman year, here I was, you know, in a new place with a completely new community kind of trying to find my place just like everybody else. And my family was really falling apart. And this one night when I was particularly heartbroken, all I wanted to do was go sit in the mission. I was blessed to go to Santa Clara University. I was blessed to ultimately be baptized in the mission and married at Mission Santa Clara, which as I continue to age, I realized like what a blessing. But I desired to be in that sacred place and in that sacred space as I was mourning and as I was hurting. So my roommate went with me, God bless her. And we walked over and I was so sad because I went to open the mission doors and it was locked. And so I may have knocked, mm. I don't remember, but it reminds me of the scripture about knock and the door shall be opened essentially. And I, I sat down on the steps really feeling defeated. And all of a sudden, the custodian opened the doors 
to the mission and let us in. Coincidence. <laughs> Providential. <laughs> of course, of course. Coincidence or providential or both. <laughs> no, it's definitely providence, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, um, that sense of being at home is very much my experience in the Catholic Church. Now, mind you, I've been in the Catholic Church a long time now, so I'm sure everyone can imagine we are a very human family who loves the Lord. It's not been a perfect at-home experience. Of course. <laughs> Just like I'm not perfect. And yet, in the heart of Christ, being able to be in the heart of Christ within the Catholic Church is just a, a blessing beyond words. And so I would say that was probably the start without me really knowing it of me becoming Catholic. Mm. Yeah, I have a, I have a, well, I don't know if he, he's definitely a friend from my perspective, but he probably wouldn't remember who I was, but I did a, about a decade ago, we went to Israel on a tour with Steve Ray, um, who's an apologist and an evangelist, a Catholic one, and he kind of has made a, a career out of, uh, or a ministry, or I should say, rather, out of going to the Holy Land. But I remember in his conversion story, he talked about, you know, the idea of the church and, and saying, you know, well, anybody who thought she was perfect, the moment that I joined, obviously that proved it wrong, right? This sense of inherent imperfection in a way, because we're part of it, right? We are, we're broken and we fall and we have all these defects. But at the same time, when we're unified in the church, the church is also perfect and beautiful in the body of, in the body of Christ, right? And the, and the bride of Christ. So this idea of kind of using our own brokenness as as a kind of strange proof point to the reason why you know the church is true and and the reason why we belong we belong in her did did you as you converted um i mean you've met your husband now he is catholic does this reawaken his faith was he very observant at the time like how how did that dynamic uh impact I don't know if you've ever heard, there's some quote about how like in marriage, often God gives us what we need. And in my husband being a lover of God and a follower of Christ and very faithful, he's very much a cornerstone for me. He's very slow and steady. He is my Joseph in that sense and in many senses. And so I would say he's always been steady. He's just steady. He was already faithful. Um, you know, he'd already been through a lot himself in his own life, and he stayed very stable and and centered in the Lord. And so mm. that is who he was, and that is who he continues to be 21 years later. And I remember us being together dating at Mass and holding hands at Mass and praying at Mass and he made a point, he's a year older than me, and I was baptized my senior year. So he was doing Jesuit Volunteer Corps at the time. And not only did he make a point to come back for my baptism and to be there for that sacred occasion, but also his parents did. Some of his family was there as well, wow. not knowing that we would end up getting married. So it's a very beautiful memory. How'd your family or your friends feel about your conversion? Was it, generally speaking, well-received, or were there issues of contention? D, all of the above. <laughs> I would say very much. <laughs> you know, life is colorful and dynamic. Deacon Charlie, for whatever reason, God has blessed me with a very, very clear sense of God's voice in my life, and by spending time in the silence and by spending time with Him, God has blessed me with the ability to make choices whether or not I'm supported by other human beings. And so that was one of many. Mm, good answer. <laughs> so so my praise God, my my parents came and they were there. And I love my parents. And they were there. All of my family definitely was not there. Um but that was okay because I was at peace mm. and in God's joy and, and goodness. I'm sure there's plenty of examples of you having to step, you know, or, or go against the fray or, or, you know, kind of swim against the stream in a lot of ways since becoming Catholic. And one of the ways I think about, which you've obviously devoted a lot of time to and a lot of focus on, is the area of uh, fertility, uh, infertility, adoption, a lot of things that are you know, either neutral or objectively good, but nevertheless have a lot of opposition in our culture today. And I remember hearing one of your talks, and it really struck me when you talked about 
the kind of deep appreciation that you had for the creative process by virtue of you and your husband, you know, being unable to, um, you know, physically have a, a family of your own. And it really struck me because I hadn't thought about it from that standpoint, Lindy. I mean, we all kind of say, well, the beauty of life and the wonder of life, and we can objectively respond when life is taken. But the idea of the beauty of the creative process itself and the appreciation that you showed and that you spoke of was really, really profound when I first heard it. And I'm sure that that's something where you've had to face opposition, popular and otherwise, in a variety of sectors, no? Yes. I would say that Brian's and my infertility has taught me love. In 1 John, I think it says God is love. I would never know God's love like I know God's love without adopting my precious children, who are really God's precious children. And there's obviously biological parents in this picture too, who I also very much pray for. So when we have adopted, even at times, we've, we've literally, I have been told, don't do that. Don't do that. Like, why would you do that? Like, why would you put yourself in a position that is going to ensure that you are going to suffer? And just so everybody knows, when we adopted our oldest two children, we adopted them from foster care, six and three years old, and they both have um, special needs. They both have disabilities, different. They present themselves differently, but yet it's been a journey. But we're called as Christians, we're called as Catholic Christians to lay down our lives. And in Matthew 10, 39, this is one of my favorite scripture passages. It says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And again, almost exactly in Matthew 16, 24 to 25. And I point those out because I also, I think they're so beautiful to pray with and just to be with. But this podcast is called Living the Call. And our call is to follow Christ and to lay down our lives because that's what Christ did out of love, but also for resurrection, for redemption, for goodness. And so there's always been opposition per se in my life for the things that I've chosen that are my call to marry my husband. I got engaged at 22 years old. That was not popular in my culture at the time. And I got a lot of opposition, even from girlfriends especially girlfriends from growing up. And mind you, remember, I was not raised in a community of faith per se. So very different kind of ways of thinking and, and more secular and of the world. And so then also um, with the adoption and then even with Mamas in Spirit, with my podcast, which I would say is very much a small V compared to those big Vs. I, I like to think of my marriage as my big V, my big vocation, my big V vocation. And then our adoption of our children as our shared big V vocation, even though I don't know if the church would exactly put it that way, but those are the two most significant parts of my life and my own call. Sure. And then Mamas in Spirit and many other things like small, continued small yeses, small V vocations, not nearly as important, but yet callings. And so... I think that whenever we're going to follow Christ, like truly follow Christ, it's going to be vulnerable. We're, there's going to be opposition. There's always going to be dynamics, call it the devil, call it darkness, whatever it is that's going to push back against our yeses to God. And I've heard people say the bigger our yeses, the more pushback we're going to get. And so... God has formed me, you know, Amen. praise God, praise God. God has just blessed me to say yes when I know something is right, even if I'm going to be persecuted or publicly persecuted or whatever else. And that's not always easy, but then yet it kind of is because it's easier to live in the goodness and hopefully the grace of God than live in the messiness and the friction of the secular world or of darkness, or of sin. 
There's a ton to unpack there, Lindy. Let me start with one thing, though, that um, you said at the very top. This idea of people telling you, even people close to you, why do you want to do this? You're going to complicate your life, and you're not going. You're just going to walk headlong into suffering. And this orientation, which is a hundred percent, just the reality. It's almost like you just at a DNA level identified what the parts that are wrong about our American culture. And there's a lot that's right about it. But the part that's wrong is this idea of like, if you have something, it's about to be a challenge, run as far away from it as you can. But I can imagine that over the course of the years, raising your children, being a witness in that way, you've had occasion to witness to these very people who may have at least told you in the beginning, why are you doing this? right? I have to imagine that they've, some of those people have seen and witnessed the answer to that question. And by virtue of that, potentially themselves have been transformed. I've had one of the people that told me not to do it probably 17 years later tell me, I'm so proud of you. But that's not me. It's not me. What it is, is I think of the, the rosary, the mysteries of the rosary, we start with joyful mysteries and Mary's yes. And from her yes comes the sorrowful mysteries and that road with Christ. But then what comes next, we cannot forget because that's the pinnacle point. That is, that's the heart of the matter is the resurrection and the glorious mysteries. And most of my moments with my children Deacon Charlie are not like this. They are not public. And I think that's really important for people to always know because I have my own podcast. Most of our lives are lived intimately and privately. And that's where Christ is. I mean, Christ hopefully is in this too, but just meaning that's where we're sharpened. That's where we're formed. That's where it's really hard. But yet that is where we find Christ. We find Christ in the cross and in the suffering, but also in the resurrection. And so by journeying with our children for all of these years and through all of these circumstances, and anybody listening who has raised children or has had a family member that they really love that's gone through a lot of darkness or trying times or has a child or children with special needs or a child or children with mental health challenges or with addictions or, or both or whatever, like you get it, you get it. It gets so hard sometimes, so hard that it feels unbearable. Like how could this ever get better? How could this ever change? How could this ever transform? But God transforms and only God transforms. So in that surrender of our lives and us laying down our lives, like that scripture from Matthew, when we lay it down and we recognize I have no control over this, but yet God will guide me and will help me to persevere through the situation in love, in love, in hope, in light, then God's glory will be revealed and it has been revealed. I mean, just to be really straight, because I am kind of a straight shooter, uh, (laughs) with a lot of parents, they want their children and they have this hope that their children will, oh, they're going to go to college and then they're going to go and get a job. And then they're, and they're going to get married and they're going to have children. And those children are going to be my grandchildren. And there's kind of this trajectory, like remember before I said, I don't make plans. Like there's this natural trajectory that people just expect. Well, my husband and I, honestly, with our oldest, we were trying to keep our oldest out of jail and out of a mental institution or off the streets. I mean, our reality and the challenges that we were facing and what we felt our goals were, were so different. And Christ was revealed in that. And not only that, but praise God, praise God. Our son is now in a home with three other young men with a phenomenal homeowner and beautiful staff members who love the Lord. And is doing so well at almost 23 years old. Like he's doing so well. That's God's glory. But kind of to your point, Deacon Charlie, that I think maybe is deep down in there, my family has been transformed. Like my my family, like our extended families on both sides, friends, like when you get the opportunity and the chance to love into someone that you need a sacrifice for and you really that really needs you, it changes you. 
right? So like this changed me. I am changed because of this journey. Praise God. I want to affirm also that you said that it's not about you, right? This isn't about me. All of this extreme, the ex- extraordinary transformation, growth, fruit, despite and through difficulties, challenges, all these different things is not you. I, that, that's really important, Lindy, and I know you know this, but I'm just sharing it for the sake of, 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 the, of the audience more broadly, that, you know, in, in, in a lot of ministry, you know, we do homeless ministry. We've, we've obviously also been foster parents. We're adoptive parents as well or I am an adoptive parent anyway. But you oftentimes hear that that refrain from somebody who will say, oh, Lindy, that's really nice. Isn't that wonderful that you did this, right? And in a way, it's perfectly fine. And in a way, it's perfectly benign, and it doesn't matter. But in a way, it's also this kind, and I don't even know if people know that they're, that they're saying this potentially, but in a way, it's kind of saying, oh, that's what people like you do. And that's not something that I can do or would do or want to do. So in a way, it says a lot about somebody who might say to you, and I'm sure you've heard this many times as we have, like, oh, isn't that just amazing what you've done with the, you know, but in a way, it's a bit of an indictment of the person saying it, because to your point, every one of us is called to, yes, a vocation, but also to a shared brother and sisterhood with the other kids of God. All of us are. And every one of us has an opportunity to do that. You know, so much so to the point whenever I hear that statement now about either homelessness or other things, I always, my answer is always the same anymore. It's like, well, anyone can do it, you know, because hopefully it it, kind of creates that moment to have that conversation. But I think it's really important, as you've done, to, you know, affirm that this fruit, this growth, this transformation is of God because you are cooperating with him, as St. Paul tells us over and over in Scripture. You're cooperating with the work of God, and by virtue of that, he's able to create his work through that cooperation. Yes, and Deacon Charlie, maybe you can relate to this, but I have cooperated with God even when I don't want to because God has helped me to hang in there. Like, I remember the first time my husband was really sick, and I did not know how this was going to unfold, and we'd only been married nine months, and I remember I was so pure-hearted and so in love with the Lord that I went into the chapel in the hospital, and I went down on my knees, and I said, I will follow you, Lord, even if you take my beloved husband, I will follow you. That's really beautiful, and that's really beautiful for me looking back. However, that did not last. (laughs) Because my husband kept getting sick and sick. And I got really angry and I got really hurt and I got really guarded. And so I had to heal and I had to realize that, first of all, I had to trust God in all circumstances and give my life over to not saying like, okay, God would only give this to me once because God knows like I can't handle it more than that. But yet, no, it's God's plan and it's it's God's God's plan unfolding for me, but that I am called to cooperate no matter what. So I'm always saying yes to my vocation. So meaning that we say these first yeses to our big V vocation, but then we're constantly saying yes to little yeses all the time for the rest of our lives to still honor our vocations and our callings by God. So that's that's kind of, that's one thing. In regards to people saying to me over the years, oh, you're so good, or I could never do what you do is, and I think I've shared this with you before, Deacon Charlie, but this actually just came to me over the last year. But in in John 19 and then 26 and 27, when Jesus is dying, he says to his mother, woman, this is your son. And he's talking about the disciple whom he loves. So woman, this is your son. And then to the disciple, he says, this is your mother. And then it goes on to talk about how then the disciple whom Jesus loves takes Mary into his home as his mother. And I just think that is just so critical because what that communicates to me is the heart of us being a human family. God is still, Jesus is still giving on the cross, even as he is like, close to his last breath, he is giving his mother away to the disciple whom he loves. They are not biologically tied at all. 
they're spiritually tied as we all are spiritually tied to our blessed mother. But ultimately we're called to be a human family. And I think that when we're told to follow Christ and to give our lives away, we're called to give our lives away for one another because Christ gave Christ's life away for us. And so that's the model that there's only one model. There's only one truth. And so I believe being that your podcast is living the call in discerning our call in life is that God speaks intimately to each of our own hearts and each of our own circumstances to call us to how we each uniquely are called to give our lives away. I can't tell another person, this is how God is calling you. But I think we do know deep down where God is pulling our heartstrings and which direction God is guiding us, especially when we listen. But I do believe at the heart of the matter, the thing that we all have in common and that God very much needs from each one of us, each person makes a difference here. There's so many humans in the world that need help and need to be carried per se, need to be encouraged and need to be supported. And so we are each needed. Every person listening is needed. People could blow that off and say, oh, that's just you, or that's just Deacon Charlie, or that's just the priest at church, or that's just this person that leads this ministry. Or, No, God needs each and every one of us. God molded and knit us and formed us in our mother's, our birth mother's womb so that we can receive God's love and that we can pour that love out so that we can love the other, so that we can love another. Brian and I have been called to do that predominantly or one of the main ways through adopting our children. And I'll tell you, Deacon Charlie, and I think I said to you, this to you before, and I even had a student ask me this once. I was giving a talk at, at Loyola Marymount University and a student said, is it the same? Like, is it the same, the love that you have for your adopted children as like a biological child? So I had to say, well, first of all, I've never had a biological child, so I can't really speak to that. <laughs> However, I have a lot of biological family members. And let me tell you, I am closer with my children and I have a more intimate relationship with my children than most every human being. And the, the only other person that really honestly comes to heart and mind is my husband, who we're not biological either. He's adopted into my heart and my life. Joseph adopted Jesus. You That's know, right. this model is at the heart of our faith, this model of adoption and us being a human family. And I want to say, like, I think this time in history, it's really critical that we get back to this because there's so much divisiveness and there's so many things that I just think are darkness trying to tear us apart and make us think that we're not a human family. We are a human family family. We are a human family. And I think if you look at someone long enough, you listen to someone long enough, you walk with someone long enough, you will fall in love with that person because that is a, that is a soul created by God. And, and we are all called to be together at the soul level with Christ. And that's just the reality of the radicalness of Christ's um, teaching and commands is this idea of, you know, being blood related. Guess what? We're all blood related related, all of us in a way. The idea of there's no greater, um, you know, gift than to give your life for your friends, which is what Jesus said. We're all supposed to be friends, right? So the radical approach of Christ is that we are all literally, not figuratively, literally brothers and sisters under one eternal father. And, you know, sometimes it takes our whole lives and sometimes even beyond death for people to recognize that but that's the radical truth. And so I think you're right. I think the, the idea that everyone is called to that is both the truth and also a challenge. It's a, it's a bit of a gauntlet, you know, that needs to get thrown down, especially today, especially amidst the divisiveness, because we need to recall that shared brother and sisterhood, the reality of what solidarity is and why it exists. I said this on a recent show, <clears throat> but I was blown away when I read in Dorothy Day's uh, a memoir in her conversion story. I'm learning a lot about this saint because um, it was brought up on an earlier show where she said there, and she's a former communist, right? She was coming out of communism. And she said, there is no brotherhood of man without the fatherhood of God. And when I, when I saw that, it was just mind blowing, right? Because she was trying to explain to the communists the reason why she was Christian. 
And she was like, well, we all agree on brotherhood is good, right? And they were like, yeah, brotherhood, good, solidarity. And then she went the next step, which is, well, why? Why is brotherhood good? Because we're all sons and sis and daughters of the Father. And that's the part that kind of completed her thinking and her ideology. But what an important lesson that is for us to recall today amidst all of this division. I, I have to imagine that all of this, especially the stuff with your husband, the, the care for him, going through these different bouts, um, the, the things with your, with your children, especially at, with their special needs— that has to have been a place from where you drew a lot of inspiration for your work in pastoral care too, right? I mean, is that is that where a lot of that was born? I think that I received from God what I really needed and want to share that with others. We all need encouragement. We all need to know that we are God's beloved. We all need another human to look at us in our eyes and to reflect Christ to us. And that's been reflected to me in God directly and through so many, more than I could ever count of God's people. And the greater my own yes, the more people that I have been exposed to per se, who I have encountered that have witnessed to me. That's the beauty of the witness. The greater the yes I talked about before, there may be also some more pushback per se, with like darker forces at times. But more importantly, what I think we really need to set our hearts on and our lives on is that the more my yes, the greater my yes, the more I have witnessed the light and seen Christ and been sharpened and and now live in greater peace and joy and hope and love. Mm. The There was a documentary that you were a part of recently on EWTN, right, or a documentary series on um, on the care of the whole person and the, you know, kind of idea of showing that love in a true sense, capital L, to, to people in a variety of different, you know, stages. I find that, you know, in our culture, and maybe you can touch on this, we've talked about some of the, the challenges, um, you know, in terms of people, the culture dissuading people from taking that first step. But the culture oftentimes always show, also shows up at the last step, right? Which is people as they're um, convalescing, people as they're going through a palliative process, people as they're, you know, frankly coming to die. And the culture shows up again there and says, hey, there's no need for this kind of suffering and craziness, you know? And now, sadly, there's even a lot of, um, you know, government uh, support in, in different sectors and other support for that kind of thinking to like, hey, just, you know, let's just end it or stop it. And so, you know, we've talked about it at the front end of life, but you're also, you've done work and have been involved in this subject matter at the end of uh, of a journey. And I wonder if you can touch on that because that's, you know, an area I don't have a lot of experience with, but I do think is equally an important subject matter for the kind of culture that we're living in today. I think that darkness preys on the most vulnerable, whether it's the elderly or others who are not elderly, who are very sick and who are dying, um, those who are not yet born, those who do not have families in foster care, those who are mentally ill, those who are disabled, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's even more why any of us who are so blessed to be healthy enough to help another are called to help another because that is where people are really, really preyed upon. It's mm. so sad. It's like, it's like a double whammy. It's like someone's already vulnerable and now they're going to be preyed upon. And, and I've seen that in my own children in the sense that here I have a daughter who is delayed and has a, a processing disorder and she's preyed upon. She was preyed upon as a child because she was more vulnerable. It's very sad. It's very sad. You know, darkness is dark, but the light always outshines the darkness, but we have to choose to be the light. So, so mm. I think that it's really critical in this conversation especially because we can get so broad, which I think we do need to get, but also to know that God reveals God's self in the intimacy. And when you say that I've done work with like death and dying per se, I have to be honest with everybody. It's mostly that I've listened to other experts in that field. It's I do not have extensive work in that field, but I have listened to many 
who do and who have that, who I very much admire and who are deeply faithful human beings. And it's in these moments and these times of vulnerability that people most need to be accompanied. That's why scripture calls us to take care of the widow and to take care of the orphan. And that goes the same for those who are dying. These are very vulnerable times for so many reasons. And so where does God call each one of us to accompany and to even accompany long before people get into those circumstances so that they know the love of Christ, so that they know the value of their own life, so they are not as vulnerable. One of the most important aspects of caring or counseling or accompaniment is listening. And so even though you know I appreciate the disclaimer about the amount of work you may or may not have done specifically in that area, you're doing the most important part, to my mind. And... And I know that's certainly part of, uh, I'm sure, uh, the podcast work that you've done is is also being a good listener, right? If, you, if you're a good listener, you're probably going to be a good host of a podcast because you're engaged and you're actually connecting with somebody. It's interesting that the whole podcast medium has kind of grown up in the last several years when we've had so much divisiveness. I think it's a kind of an antidote to some of the stuff that's been out there because people are longing for that listening and point of connection and all of that. But I think it's critical and and you've definitely, um, you know, you're definitely doing the, the, the better part and encouraging us to do the important part of listening so that we can actually get at the heart of what, you know, what ails people and we can accompany and walk with them in that process. Lindy, an hour goes fast when you're having fun. Um, which of course we are, but, um, we're going to, we're going to wrap up with our, uh, wait, what segment, which should be some fun, especially this week. Cause I've got some doozies prepared for oh, you, Gosh! <laughs> but, uh, I wonder if you could share with folks among, um, among all the many things that you're doing with uh, mamas in the spirit apostolate with the mamas in the spirit podcast, with, uh, all of your different work with your new life in, in Nashville, uh, how do people, you know, kind of follow your work get in touch with you? Um, what do you want to, what's on your heart to share? Well, just like all of our calls are different, what's on each one of our hearts or what circumstances we're facing in each one of our lives is different. And so essentially, this is almost nearing the completion of season three, three years of Mamas in Spirit podcast. And basically what it is, it's witness, it's testimony, it's people sharing how they persevered through numerous, numerous experiences. So maybe it is their own alcoholism. Maybe it's that of a loved one. Maybe it's having a child with special needs. Maybe it's facing cancer. Maybe it's facing the illness of another. Maybe it's losing a parent at a younger age or just losing a parent. The list goes on and on and on. There's well, well over 125, 30, I don't even know, podcasts at this point. So I would encourage you to go to mamasinspirit.com, M-A-M-A-S inspirit.com and look for titles and content that speaks to your heart and your soul right now in this moment of your life so that hopefully you can hear from another and be encouraged on your journey and know you're not alone. I also post little reflections and times of prayer and things of the sort on Facebook and Instagram. So you can follow Mamas in Spirit there and you can always email me at mamasinspirit at gmail.com. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great podcast. Um, and it's super authentic and genuine and and great little, you know, snapshots of so many different people in their different in their various walks, right, of life and faith. And so uh, you've got a heck of a sampling and definitely encourage anybody listening to this show to uh, to check out Mamas in Spirit. Lindy, are you ready to play Wait What? I have to be honest. I was kind of hoping and praying that you were going to ask me about K-pop or Korean tacos like you asked Father Richard Sun Woo. Because <laughs> <laughs> that one you're an expert on. No, s- sadly, that is not the case. These are Boo. all custom crafted for each guest. All right, Lindy, here we go. Question number one. Which of these items is false about your new home of Nashville, Tennessee, which is false about Nashville. Okay. Number one, Nashville was the first Southern city to desegregate public establishments in 1960. Number two, a blind Vanderbilt student founded the first seeing eye dog training school in the U S 
1927. Or three, Nashville's musical reputation began with the Jubilee Singers of Belmont University, an all-black a cappella group that toured the nation during the 1870s. Which of those is false about Nashville? First Southern City to desegregate, Blind Vanderbilt student founded a Seeing Eye Dog training school, or Nashville's musical reputation is based on the Jubilee Singers who were an all-black a cappella group. I'm going to go with number two, because that's where my heart is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good guess, but sadly, it is incorrect. Uh, in fact, in 1927, yes, a blind Vanderbilt student named actually Morris Frank founded the first ever Seeing Eye Dog training school in America. The correct answer is number a C or the number three uh, Nashville's mus- musical reputation is indeed based on the Jubilee Singers which, which were an all black acapella group but that acapella group started at Fisk University not Belmont so sadly Belmont didn't even actually start until 20 or 30 years later so but good start though good start <laughs> it was a terrible right. start but thank Ready? you for the encouragement <laughs> question number two question number two St. Gerard Magella who is the patron of my very own parish, and I'm sure somebody who you've come across a number of times in terms of uh, the area of specialty that you uh, you minister in, had a bunch of different you know mystical faculties, right? He could levitate, he could bilocate, he had the ability to read souls. He's the patron of unborn children. He's the patron of difficult pregnancies, of women in childbirth, of mothers, expectant mothers, and just motherhood in general. But what a lot of people don't know is that he was blank. And there are a number of acceptable answers, Lindy. Oh, you mean I'm supposed to fill in the blank? <laughs> you are supposed to fill in the blank. I gave you all the stuff that, that, that we know about St. Gerard Magella, but many people don't know this. Oh my gosh. Okay, can I just preface this by saying we all have different gifts? This is reminding me of the stress I feel playing like Trivial Pursuit. So I'm going to need therapy after this. Um... Uh, what else? What a lot of people don't about him? What a lot of people don't know is that he was blank. <laughs> and there's a number of acceptable answers. There's not just one. So we know we know that he had mystical abilities. He could levitate and bilocate. We know what he's the patron saint of. But a lot of people don't know that he was also blank. The the words coming through my mind, I just think are not appropriate. <laughs> just go for it, though. Go for it. Come on. In he the... was blind. I don't know. Love it. No, uh, incorrect. I would have accepted. <laughs> I would have accepted a number of possible uh, answers. I would have accepted uh, that he was never that he was um, uh, not ordained. He wasn't a priest. Was not a deacon. He was a religious brother. Oh, I was gonna say. Okay. Yep. I would have accepted that he was a tailor, like his dad. He was actually brought up in that in kind of a. I guess whatever the, the male version of seamstress is, but he was brought up doing all of that stuff. So there was a number of different things, or you could have said he was Italian. I don't know, but a lot of people know he was Italian. So anyway, okay, Lindy, I'd like to say we're doing well, but we're 0 for 2. So this is your redemption. Yeah, we're 0 for 2. Could you go like, throw me a bone? You're, you're, about, <laughs> you're about to get it. You know why? Because there's always, Lindy, a time travel question, okay? And so here is your time travel question. Lindy, you're able to travel forward in time a thousand years. And lo and behold, Jesus has still not returned. But you do find the U.S. in a bit of a dystopian reality that has outlawed organized religion. As you can imagine, this has helped to create a very dreary, practically unrecognizable America with people hungry for the gospel. You're moved to take action, but you're unsure about how long you can stay in this new world without risking a permanent residence there. Do you stay and start evangelizing, or do you jump back into the ship and head back to good old 2021? Of course I stay. All right. That's one. There you go. <laughs> There's no I wrong mean, answer. This is living the call, right? We have to be courageous in all circumstances. You, you stay in 2021 20, in a dystopian America, and you're evangelizing. I can, you know what? I can buy that, Lindy. I can buy that about you. You would stay. You know what? I should have prayed harder about K-pop and Korean tacos, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I had to do that one for uh, for that particular guest. But uh, anyway, um, <laughs> thank you for playing, Lindy. We very much appreciate it. And on um, a serious level, I really do pray. My prayer is that God continues to prosper 
all of your ministries and continue to have you serve as a point of inspiration so people can recognize their own part in that great tapestry that God is calling us all to in our shared brotherhood and sisterhood. So I really um, you know, give you uh, my blessing and thank you very much for being a part of, of this show. Well, Deacon Charlie, you talked about listening in the end of the podcast, and I just want to say you are a really wonderful listener, and that is a great gift, and it's awesome that you are hosting this podcast because you really do help get to the heart of the matter. So thank you so much. It has been an honor and a blessing to be with you and everyone listening. Thanks be to God. And if you're listening to this podcast, please remember to subscribe, share this podcast with your friends and family and give us a good old five-star review so we can make this podcast grow. Also, we'll include all the information in the show notes, but please do make sure right now as you're listening to this to open up your favorite podcast player and also subscribe to Mamas in Spirit or go to the website and the social links that you will see in the show notes to follow Lindy's work. We'll see you again next time on Living the Call. If you enjoyed this episode of Living the Call, please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star review. Tell someone you love about the show and spread the word. Living the Call is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can learn more about the organization behind the show by searching for the Catholic Association of Latino Leaders on any social platform or by going directly to call-usa.org. That's C-A-L-L-U-S-A.org. Living the Call is produced by Manu Kasten and Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Networks. God bless you and thank you for listening.